Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us again at All Things Evangelism. I'm here today with Bethany Chapman. She is our North New South Wales Conference Women's Ministries Leader and uh, the Associate Pastor of the uh, Central Coast Community Church um, for now. But uh, thank you, uh, Bethany, for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time. No worries. So happy to be here. (laughs) It's a for now thing. We've just found out this last week that there's going to be changes with our ministry for next year. So my husband yes. and I are both pastors, but we're really looking forward to where God's leading in that, which is very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So where, where are you guys heading? Um, Chapo is going to be at Gateway Church in Kurnbong, and I'm going to be women's ministry only next year, which is, yeah, it opens up new opportunities. It's really exciting for us. Sad yeah. to leave the old, but excited for the new at the same time. Because oh, you spend several years at a church, you fall in love with a whole bunch of beautiful people. So it's never easy to go. feels like breaking up every <laughs> time, I swear. Yes. That's good. Well, yeah. So everyone, we're, we're going to talk today. I asked Bethany to come and join me on the podcast because I wanted to discuss the topic of reaching out in a loveless world. Um, and I'll just kind of start the conversation with a verse of scripture that predicted that in the times we live, that there would be a lack of love in the world. Um, And that's in Matthew chapter 24, and I believe it begins verse 12. And Jesus says, because sin will be everywhere, the love of many will grow cold. And okay, so he's looking forward into the future, Beth, and saying, not a whole lot of love at the end of time. And it's going to be because of sin. And yet at the same time, you know, he, he commissions us like through the apostles and then also in Revelation 14, right, to preach the everlasting gospel to every creature. So the world being loveless isn't like cause for us to stop loving, right? Like, yeah. Fine. <laughs> yeah. We, so how do we, so I guess what I'd, I'll throw this out there to you, Bethany, how do we love how do we continue to love in a loveless world? Yeah, it's a super challenging concept when you think about it because when the world isn't being loving and being loving towards you, our natural response as humans is to react negatively or to react in a way that's guarded or a way that's offended or hurt to when somebody else isn't loving you well. Um, I think that's a natural human reaction and we see that a lot in the world around us. But Mm -hmm. God calls us to be open and to love in a way that in the face of adversity is countercultural that brings his love into the world, which is really Uh challenging. Yeah, no doubt about it. Hey, it's like Jesus loved in spite of the fact that people weren't loving him, whether it was the disciples and their disloyalty or the religious establishment with his treachery, you know, against him. And, you know, he, he just, didn't stop loving. And I wonder, I mean, obviously so many questions go back to this one fact. And I wonder if it's not just because of his deep and profound connection with his heavenly father Mm. that gave him what he needed to be able to unconditionally care for other people, even when they weren't caring for him. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And he modeled what that love looks like in action. I mean, right down to the very moment when he's dying, he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they have done to his enemies. So 
that is huge that Jesus Christ, and when we read through the gospels that he gives us the picture of, well, what does it look like to love like God loves? Because let's be honest, we're not always great at it as human beings. It's easy for us to love people who love us, but for those who don't love us, um, that's when it gets tricky. And I'm sure you found that as a parent, like there's times where you have to love your kids anyway, even when they really aren't behaving in a way that's loving toward <laughs> you <laughs> and as a spouse as well. <laughs> yeah. But even like beyond that, um, we are asked to ask to love people that don't even have anything to do with our group that aren't really our people. But God says, they're my people. They're made in my image. They're my children love them anyway mm -hmm. yeah no doubt about it it's almost like <laughs> what you said just this is a funny kind of side thought but yeah having kids and being married definitely gives you practice for <laughs> for loving when you're not being loved right like yeah. that's that's so it's such a and really it's a side point but it's really a good one and you see simultaneously in society the breakdown of the family and mm -hmm a lack of love in the community. I mean, if we can't get along with our brothers and our sisters and our mothers and our fathers and our children, how are we going to get to get along with people who we aren't biologically connected to on a, you know, personal level? Like we are biologically connected to everyone, obviously as the family of humanity. But if I can't get along with my immediate family, how can I get along with my extended family and love them? Right? Yeah. And I guess that's like where you can really see what Jesus said about um, the love of people growing cold is that we live in a world where when we've been hurt over and over and we've seen it for generations, like I come from a single parent household, so does my husband, that there's been generations in my family where people have not loved one another well. And you can see why people as even from childhood learn, hey, I'm actually just going to look after myself because nobody's looking after me and that we don't trust others or we don't feel like we have a reason to love and trust others but that we just need to protect ourselves look after ourselves and um do what's right for us yeah and jesus says he that endures to the end will be saved right after he says that right so he's saying you this world's going to be loveless and sin is going to suck all the love out of the world because mm. sin is the you know opposite of love and you know paul says love is the fulfilling of the law, right? So sin is the violation of the law, therefore it's a violation of love. So the more people are just sin and the more iniquity abounds, the less love there's going to be. It's just a fact of reality. And But he says, but yeah. if you endure to the end, you'll be saved. So he's in essence saying, like, don't stop loving just because the world around you has no love. Mm. Like, endure till the end in my love and in my truth and in my faith. And so don't see the world as it is. See it as it can be. So yeah. like, see everything in faith. And I guess to me, that's, that's like kind of an answer, right? Like how do I love when I'm not being loved? How do I respond the right way when I'm being treated the wrong way? Well, yeah. see in faith, like see as Jesus saw, believe what God believes and trust. And like, yeah, that's, 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 I guess like the whole second Corinthians five thing comes to my mind. And I don't know if people who are listening, if everyone's familiar with second Corinthians five, that, the one place where Paul says that when he sees others, he judges no one after the flesh from this point forward because of how Jesus, you know, judged us. So he basically, God considered us, even though we were, you know, twisted and warped and whatever. And he reconciled us to himself in the person of Jesus. And in that 
teaching in that chapter, he says, from this point forward, I, as an apostle, judge nobody according to the flesh. So I'm not going to look at anyone and make a judgment on them based on what I'm seeing them do, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Does it, um, just thinking about Corinthians, like when you were thinking about this topic, did you have in mind first Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter in the Bible? No, no. So um, so like it's when I said, did I have it in mind? It's like, yeah, it's like in the big bag of my brain, but (laughs) I I hadn't like specifically thought, Oh, let's talk about first Corinthians 13. But yeah, it was like in the potpourri of possibilities. (laughs) I'm really impressed with you, Matt, because you just, you just have like scripture in your brain and I love your mind. Whereas I have to actually read it because <laughs> my brain doesn't hold much. I always think of myself as being like Dory, the fish off Nemo, like I'm lovable, <laughs> I'm fun. But if you ask me to remember something, I got nothing for you. Uh, well, <laughs> you, know, you have four kids too, right? Is it four? Three. Oh, three. Okay. Yeah. We have yeah. three kids too. If I had four, I'd probably forget one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I love what the Apostle Paul says about love in First Corinthians 13. Um, and he says in First Corinthians 13, 4 and 5, actually I'll go through to 8. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And I thought that is mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Um, picture yes. of what it looks like to love. And he's not talking about loving like a husband and wife love each other or like we see in the movies, which is what we think when we hear these words. It's actually talking about loving your fellow church members, mm-hmm. people who argue with you over what color the carpet's going to be and the way that things should be done. And um, people who keep coming back week after week, even though you're not really sure if you like them and if you'd like to see them week after week. <laughs> but he says, this is how I want you to respond to people who are the outsider, to people who are different because they're mine and you are mine. And that's huge. It's, it's heavy because we as people do not have to respond accordingly. So. And I think this is something that, you know, we all, it's challenging for everyone, but, but it's almost liberating to possess this idea in your head that I, how I behave and how I feel and how I, re, I respond to the world around me does not have to be tied to how I'm being treated. Mm, yes. My worth, my value does not have to come from how others are seeing me and viewing me and treating me. Um, but that once again takes faith. So you, I just yeah, want to ask you the early church, the early Christian church had the same issue, right? So in Jesus' statement in Matthew 24, he's responding to the apostles question about what will the sign of his coming be and the end of the world. And so he gives this wonderful explanation that encapsulates, you know, yeah, their question. It basically responds to their question appropriately. Yeah. but. So, so he describes a condition where there's not a lot of love, but you still have to love anyways. And that seems to be similar to the condition that the early Christian church dealt with as well, right? Like their yeah. religious faith was illegal in yeah. Rome and it was perfectly fine for civil authorities to arrest them and take their possessions and whatever, just simply for worshiping Christ and believing in Christ as the son of God and practicing their 
religious faith. How do they deal with it? Like, what was the, you know, like, I guess yeah, that's... I think I think sometimes we um, we see that idea of like sin abounding and the love of many growing cold as being something that we are unique in dealing with. But the Christians who lived in the first century, who were the early church, they dealt with, like you said, that oppressive power without freedom, without liberty, with death as a real consequence for what they believed in. Mm-hmm. And yet they chose to live in such a way that, they were countercultural in everything that they did. Um, I've got some cool quotes from some early writers. Would you like to hear some of them? Love it. Can I read to you? <laughs> okay. So Emperor Julian, so he's like a Roman emperor. He's not a Christian. And he talks about Christians and he uses the word atheism to describe Christians because they don't believe in the gods that they believed in. Uh-huh. So he says, atheism, talking about Christians, has fe- been spe- specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar, and that the godless Galileans are not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help. Oh, hang on, I lost it for the help that we should render them. So I think that's pretty crazy. He's saying like, this is scandalous. These Christians love so well that they are burying people who can't afford to be buried. That they are, there is not a single poor person among them. And in fact, more than that, they are looking after our poor people while we're watching with our mouths open. And and he's just saying, what are these barbarian people who Uh, don't believe in the gods that we believe in doing? Unreal. Wow. Yeah, so Christianity really... Um, blew people's minds by the way that they took seriously that idea to love one another. So, um, so the early Christians, just, and I'll just throw this out there. Yeah, again. And hopefully I can ask a good question. So the early Christians were very different in how they behaved to the rest yeah. of the Roman world, the Greco-Roman world. Yeah. What does yeah. this tell us about them, right? Like they, they were definitely not taking their cues from the society that was around them. Yeah, absolutely. Cause it wasn't, he's, 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 he's kind of expressing that, right? Like, yeah. they, like we don't even care about our own poor people, but these yeah. Christians do. We don't even care about our own dead people. We'll just like, let them, we have these piles of dead bodies on the side of certain roads in certain yeah, regions of our city. Wealthy could afford to be buried, but the poor could not. And Christians actually changed that, which is why today we see that a lot of the time funerals is part of, the church that we see today because the church adopted funerals by providing funerals for people who couldn't otherwise have them, which is pretty cool. Now it became our thing. (laughs) Unreal. Hey, that's just so powerful. So I guess, yeah, that's what, that's something that stands out to me from that, that quote is that they were living in a very harsh and brutal world. Yeah. But they didn't conform to that. Absolutely. I got another one for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Um, This one is from, I think I'm saying it right, Diagnetius, Mm -hmm. which is um, an early writing about Christians, but they're not sure who it's by. Um, And it says this about the Christians. It says, as citizens, they share all things with others and yet endure all things as foreigners. Every foreign land to them is as their native country. And every land of their birth is a land of strangers. They marry, as do others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offering, offspring. 
they have a common table but not a common bed. And I thought that was super cool. So here's these two massive things that he's noting about Christians is that culture doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter where you're born, where you're from, under Jesus, your ethnicity doesn't matter. Um, and he says that by saying they have a common table. Anybody can eat at their table. We recently got a dog in our family <laughs> and it made me think about like how um, we're training this dog to believe that he is lower than the rest of us, like to know his rank in our household so that um, he doesn't get too feisty with us. And part of that is that he eats after us because that's how it is in the animal world, right? But even though it was so hugely cultural, for the first century that they were like whoever eats at the table that's their right that's their place that's their position that's their rank and the christians come in and they just say anyone is welcome at the table of the lord everyone takes the lord's supper at the same time no matter whether you are slave or free or man or woman or jew or gentile or regardless of your rank or ethnicity like that is huge it's so crazy it, and i think it's even crazier when we realize what that world was like and how yeah farm that was it's cool what do you what do you think he means by saying they had a common table but not a common bed okay so you know that like orgies and sex was a big right. deal for roman uh, empire like yeah. that was sort of how they loved having parties and hanging out and having fun the yeah. christians they they're sharing around. their food but they're not sleeping around they're respecting the marital bed and it's only for two people and that was totally bizarre to them yeah Especially that's what i was thinking. Men who yeah. could choose whoever they wanted to invite into their beds in roman culture mm crazy yeah. yeah that's i was i was thinking maybe that's what he was saying but i wasn't sure yeah so how cool is that like just saying hey they anyone can eat at their table but nobody can sleep in their bed like <laughs> what's going on with these people and they don't harm their kids yeah like, so do you know about infanticide in the early totally it's insane century? okay so um they they practice something in roman culture called exposure of infants and that was if a child was a female if a child had a disability or if a child was unwanted or born out of wedlock they literally just put them outside the city hmm. and left them there and it was called exposure because the elements or nature would take care of that child but christians would go to these sites for dumping babies and rescue the babies and more than that adopt them to be members of their households and part of their inheritance and their family and to receive hmm. what their own legitimate children received and they would find homes for these children. Unreal. Isn't that powerful? It's unreal. Yeah. And I, I love that because, oh, sorry, you go. No, no, I was just going to say, no, please, you first. Oh, I, I just love that because um, they could have been super political and they could have rallied against their authorities and their powers about all of the injustices in the world that they lived in, but they didn't. They did it bit by bit, person by person. How can I? be the love of Christ in the community that I live in. And I think that's so important because so many of us don't get to be influential people in the political world, um, get to be a big deal, but we can be a big deal in the way that we live our ordinary lives. Totally. That's such a pertinent point that today is the US election and yeah. millions of people in the United States and around the world who are just one way or the other terrified at how this election might go down. Mm. So, and there's there's valid concerns on both sides, right? Like, uh, and you know, we, oh, just I, I get we often get, I would say as Christians, overly concerned about political processes. Yes. Because we assume that human government can bring about cosmic justice or perfect peace and harmony, and so 
but that just can't be. And these Christians in the early church, and I think throughout the course of history, true Christians, true Christ followers, always can acknowledge that only God and his coming kingdom can bring about mm-hmm. cosmic justice where everything's okay, where everything works out perfectly. Until then, we will deal with unfairness, yes. and lovelessness, and, and like the world is never going to pan out perfectly. And I think, you know, it's funny because it's always tough fighting against injustice, like on a political mm-hmm. level, because it's very, very hard for you to not become unjust yourself. And you'll yeah. see over the course of time, I mean, this is, this is a point, like it's not off topic. And so anyone who's listening, don't think this is off topic. It's exactly on topic, <laughs> like, like loving in a loveless world and reaching out for Christ in a loveless world. Because like we, okay, a perfect modern example of, of the point that is in my head that I want to try to articulate is that, okay, so oh, I don't even know what point to bring out without being politically risky here. But I'll, I'll, just, say, I'll just say this. It's um, challenging today of all times. That's right. Oftentimes persecutors were persecuted or persecutors arose as saviors. So when, when we as Christian people get involved with, with political processes, which is okay, we've got to be very careful that in our fight against injustice or whatever we term injustice, we ourselves don't become unjust mm. because um, power is a very dangerous thing and it can really corrupt you and mess you up. Anyway, so I guess the point that I'm trying to make is these Christians understood that the heart of the matter was the human heart, the human condition, the human mind. And, and until the human heart is changed, no system of human government is ever going to make this world perfect and everyone happy and just and fair and all that kinds of stuff. And so this isn't an argument against like getting involved in politics and standing up for the disaffected, you know, or the underserved, like that's cool. Like that's fine. But if you get too wrapped up in that, like as a Christian, I just don't think it's a good, good path. Yeah, it's so true. And you look at the life of Christ and you look at the disciples and even when Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Like he's saying, this is not an earthly kingdom. This is not earthly politics or power because all of that is a hot mess. What it's about is being in my kingdom, no matter where you're born, no matter where you're from, no matter what you stand for politically. If you're in my kingdom, it's radical, it's countercultural, it's different. It's totally. a whole other worldview. Hey, and just since the U.S. election is happening today, don't you think that sometimes the devil creates a situation where there's just no way to win? Like there's just like... <laughs> When I consider, like my whole life, pe- people, I'm socially conservative, like in my views on basically everything. Um, and when I say that, what I mean is, is by the standard of the world around me, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that biological males are male. And I think biological females are female. And I don't think that that changes or that, you know, there's a spectrum of gender. I, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't believe it. I don't think it's scientific or real or factual or anything. That's conservative. That's a socially conservative view in the day that we live in. I believe that design infers purpose and the way that males and females are designed infers that they're made for each other and not for the same sex. Okay. So I can just go down the list. I'm a social conservative. I believe in biblical values, you know, biblical truths. And I think that they align with science and facts and reality. So with, with that said, like I would then, and therefore kind of most people think I'm a Republican. Anytime I get into any conversation on social 
issues with anyone. They're like, oh, just a Republican. But what? I'm not a Republican. Yeah, what? I'm not. Like, I'm not. Like, not, not. I've never been a Republican. Because when it comes to issues of, like, say, foreign national policy, I'm a, as an American, I never yeah. aligned with the Republican Party because they were more into foreign wars than I would be willing to participate in, right? That's unconstitutional. And, like, George Bush going to Iraq. I've, I fought there. I was there. But, mm-hmm. like, I, I, now as a Christ follower, I, didn't, I don't support it. I didn't, you know, didn't agree with it. Don't believe it. Was, was, anyway, so, so here, here you are. This is just a simple example. Yeah. Um, that okay, I'm a person who has certain beliefs and certain values. And some of my values are embraced by one political party. Other values are embraced by other political parties. And like, I can't sometimes side with either conscientiously because, you know, I don't really support elective abortion up until the time of delivery, as most of the Democrat party does now. Um, or at least that's their party platform. Like it's in their actual platform of their party. Like it's a woman's right to abort their child, like up to the moment of delivery. So somehow that baby coming out into the air makes it a person, a being, a baby, you know, but you know, 10 minutes before, yeah, you can just, Ten minutes. you can just stab it. That's, that's fine. Like to me, that just, that I can't, I can't go with that. I can't roll with that. I can't support that political party. But then on the other side, but you know, historically, not in the last four years, but historically, the Republicans have been very hawkish and just so ready to go pounce on other nations and drop bombs on people that, like, I don't know. Like, I don't want those people to have bombs dropped on their houses. So what do I do? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ mm-hmm. follower. Like, who do I vote for? The guys who want to just bomb and kill 250,000 Iraqis or the people who, you know, yeah. <laughs> people who want to just, like, kill babies that are eight months in the womb. Not that they want to. I'm not saying that. But you get the point. It's just I'm trying to. It's a conundrum. Yeah. So it's like, you're like saying, I'm me. I'm not a political party. <laughs> and I don't stand for all of the things because I stand for what I stand for. And some of this and some of that is part of who I am because I have my own right to choose. Yep. And I'm trying to live by the values that God has put in my heart and in my life. Yep. And I'm a citizen. Yeah. So I guess we are citizens of God's kingdom. Yes. And we change the world not by aligning with a political party and making sure that they have control over the world and not being used by them Mm. we're following jesus christ and his example in the world and truly loving and as an evangelist and evangelism director i always think that this message of loving and reaching out to a loveless world is so pertinent for us today because sometimes we get disheartened in our evangelistic mission because we don't see results that they did back in the old days because the world's so secular and i think when we when we take our that posture we're not loving love is growing cold and it's like no no no, don't let our love grow cold let's keep on reaching out let's keep on trying to find ways and means to save people because that's what people who love other people do yeah absolutely and i really believe that love is how we show anybody that we belong to jesus like jesus said by this all men will know that you are my disciples that you have love for one another in john chapter 13 and um you look at the early church and it wasn't by convincing it wasn't by fighting it wasn't by being offended and writing it all over social media or whatever walls that they had available to them um it was by love that they slowly but radically changed the world and you look at this statement love one another and it is in scripture over 
100 times. And particularly in the writings of John, he just says, love one another, love one another, love one another. Like he's crazy and he can't stop repeating himself, which is so awesome because it's a picture of what it looks like to be the church, but also to show the world around you. How does love work? How does it play out? And it's not easy to love one another. Like when he asks that of them, he's asking them to do a difficult thing. Especially when you think about like, like you're talking about different sides of politics. Look at the Jews and the Gentiles. Jews were born and raised to hate anyone who wasn't a Jew, who was an outsider and to think that they were less than human. And yet here they are in first century churches and Paul's writing these letters to them saying, together in Christ, you are brothers and sisters. Together you are one church, love one another. Mm -hmm. eat at the same table together, take the Lord's supper at the same time. Don't one go first because one's better than another, which Mm -hmm. is amazing. Yes. Yes. That's so true. So practically speaking, how does this translate today and now? Like, what does it look like and how do we do it? I guess I have my own thoughts, but I'm just going to throw that out. Okay. Well, so first of all, I want to say that um, it's one of the reasons why church and being part of a church community is so important because it teaches us how to love one another and how to love one another well and how to love one another even when we don't feel like it or when people are being ugly. And I think that's why God lumped us all in together as brothers and sisters because it grows us and it challenges us in our faith journey. And it's so important. So if you don't belong to a church, reach out and find, like jump on Google, find Seventh-day Adventist Church near you and figure out how to be a part of that community, reach out to the pastor, because I think it's so important to do that. Would you agree? Amen. That's so true. I, that, you know, that's such a great answer. It's like the family of God. Like you just you join a family and you yeah. commit to that family and you, you do the journey together. Yeah, like, and you think about like children, like how do children learn how to love, learn how to share, learn how to grow up and be responsible adults it's by being part of and being engaged in a family yes yeah. totally sorry i've got it. like a hundred little dings going off for <laughs> and i don't know how to turn it off i think you're not it's the one only those, one it's one of those group chats where you leave and then you come back and there's like 20 messages i know that's gonna happen <laughs> uh, Side no note. worries that's all right my um, computer's the same i'm just surprised it's not been dinging oh really oh I feel yeah like totally. so those of you guys who are listening we're just yeah on zoom so okay so practically speaking yeah joining a community of faith there's this verse in first john 1 3 first john 3 16 and he says and i didn't think about this when i asked the question but it says this is how we understand the love of god that he gave his life for us and we ought to give our lives for the brethren Mm. it goes kind of with what you're saying yeah brethren is the church yeah. In context. And so it's like, he's kind of saying what you were saying, like Jesus died for us. So focus on that. That's how you perceive and understand God's love is by, you know, focusing on him and contemplating and allowing your mind to be saturated with that truth and that fact and that being kind of the focal point of your life. But then expressing that to the family, the church in your actions and and then you kind of see, you see and understand and perceive the love of God in your own life. Yeah. Right. Your engagement with the church. Yeah. But that's not easy, is it? And I think, I think maybe that's one of the reasons why people come and go in churches because 
they don't want to go the hard yards and yeah. all the way, right? It takes vulnerability. It takes getting close to people. It takes letting yourself be known and taking the time to know other people even when they don't have that much in common with you. And that's huge. That's outside of your comfort zone. Love requires that you, you get rid of the facade. Mm, so much. Yeah. It's hard. I, I heard this statement once. It was a bit of a corny statement in that's not sorry i shouldn't have even said that it wasn't a corny statement but it was a statement that i saw in like a corny kind of emotional video where like when the internet first came out there was like this video going around and it was like a kind of a new age message from god but lots of people were kind of sending it around and it was very touching like it was very moving but I, it, was, it was corny because there's like a lot of weird kind of statements in it but one statement that was in this little presentation it said that like it was it was from the standpoint of god speaking to you and it was saying, don't try to force others to love you, rather let yourself be loved. Mm. And I was thinking, as soon as I heard that statement for the first time, I thought of the story of Mary and Martha and how Martha was always trying to like work, 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 work. And then Mary sat at Jesus' feet. And I thought, oh, that's, that might be an example of that statement where one is like trying, just allowing herself to be loved. The other is like, forcing people to love her, you know, by just doing everything. Maybe that applies, but I think that's a really cool statement. I come into a church community, into a church context. I'm going to have to make myself vulnerable. Yes. And risk possible, risk rejection. And, uh, and go through ups and downs emotionally and develop relationships, which just can be really hard. Um, or I can just continue to maintain a facade pretend like I've got it all under control, um, not, not let anyone really know me for who I am and just kind of keep, you know, living in this illusion that I'm a certain thing and that I have certain, you know what I'm saying? It's like I can just live this fake world, this fake life, which, which you can do when you don't have any real relationships. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't, but you can't do if you're going to ever really be loved. So human, the human can run. It's crazy. It's like, I want to be loved. I want to be valued. I want to be accepted, but I don't want to take the risk of joining a community of faith where I can have that. Yeah. Because there's going to be sin. There's going to be, you know, we hurt each other. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be right messiness, but that's part of life. That's part of relationships. So what do I choose? The hard road of love or the hard road of loneliness? Yeah. I and think yes. Lewis has a, a comment about that and I can't remember it, but something to do with like, you can either open yourself up to experience love or you can shut down in either way. Like if you risk yourself, oh, no, nah, I can't even put it in words, but like you end, <laughs> up with a, you end up with a cold heart if you don't open it up to be loved. And Totally. Dude, there's this Lewis is so much more poetic than I am. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, po he's more poetic than everybody. everybody. <laughs> there's that po proverb and I, I think it's in Proverbs 18 and it says something like, he who isolates himself um, like it's basically says if you isolate yourself, it's very unwise and you're raging against all good judgment. Mm. It's like he, who, no, he who isolates himself seeks his own way or something and rages against all good judgment. And it's like, uh, whenever I read that verse, I get kind of convicted because I like being alone and like isolating myself just because uh, for multiple reasons, some are good because sometimes you need to decompress and be alone with God and all that. And that's good. But it's like I have this tendency as I get older to just want to isolate and just like go for runs and beat by myself. And, and, and I think it's because of it's emotional laziness maybe on my part. So anyways, we're getting into this whole topic of like 
relationships and whatnot. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's part and parcel to what we're talking about here because yeah. But anyways, this is to continue my thought. I'm blabbering on here. Sorry guys. But <laughs> like, like I like to isolate myself because it saves me from the hard work of relationships and the tax challenging work of relationships, but yeah. I'm created to be a relational being. I'm not a robot or a machine and I can't just isolate myself because that's functioning against how I'm designed. Yeah. And it's not a blessing to anyone else. And human beings are hardwired to belong and to connect. And you're not going to become any better. You're not going to have any of your rough edges shaved off, right? Like I heard this analogy where you take a bunch of rocks and you put them in a bag and you just shake them up. Like they have these machines in rock quarries where they take rocks and put them in these shaking machines and it, it makes them soft and smooth, all the rocks, because you have all these rocks in this machine and they're bouncing against each other and there's lots of pounding and friction and, you know, all the sharp edges are getting busted off. And if you're one of those rocks, that would be a very painful process to be a part of that, right? Tumbling of the rocks. But then when they come out, they're smooth and awesome and beautiful. Um, but a rock left alone, it, it maintains all of its sharp edges. And, yeah. and it's not refined and it's not shaped and beautiful. And yeah. I think that's a perfect analogy of what you're saying. So joining a church. Yeah. Community and, where you're forced to learn to love. Yeah, and I think um, scripture sort of mirrors that analogy when it talks about how iron sharpens iron, that we, ah. when we're put next to one another, we sharpen one another, we make one another better, we take the rough edges off one another. So I think step one is um, open up your heart to Christ, understand his love for you, understand the new kingdom that you're part of. Step two is join a church family, even if it hurts and is uncomfortable. And then step three is now that you've practiced on other people that are, I guess, safer, don't just sit there, but do step three and actually reach out into your community around you. Because um, I think COVID, I think this year has shown us the ugly side of humanity, the hard and the hurt and the afraid side of humanity. And people need us to come out of our bunkers and into where they are so that we can show them what this radical, non-conforming, world-changing love looks like. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. That's so good. Well, hey, thank you so much, Beth, for joining me. And thank you guys for joining us here on All Things Evangelism podcast. Uh, I know that you've been uh, blessed. I've been blessed. And uh, yeah, the word of God is so powerful and so practical, right? And mm. I just think we should all be encouraged by the words of Jesus that he that endures to the end will be saved, endures in love in spite of the coldness of the world around. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for witness and, and then the end will come. And you know, Jesus loved until the end and we should love until the end, until the end yeah. of the world, until the end of time, irrespective of what the consequences and circumstances and um, God will be with us for sure. And then, you know, it's amazing because if we can learn how to love in this crazy world, think about how easy it will be in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, when you read in first Corinthians 13, when it talks about all those things about love, like it says, and these three things, faith, hope, and love, love is a thing that endures faith. You don't need it anymore. When you see Jesus face to face hope, you don't have to hope for the second coming and the resurrection anymore. When everybody is actually resurrected and you're actually with Jesus, but love, you still get to use that. You get to practice it now and you get to experience fully in heaven. So when I get good at it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, God bless you. Thank you so much, Bethany. And yeah, everyone take good care and we'll see you guys next week.